Well, peace be with you. Today we're tearing a word about perspective. So perspective changes things. Okay, perspective changes things. And now think about paying taxes. When you think about something like paying taxes, it's not usually something we think of as a very fun or you know, exciting thing to do. Uh, however, Mo- Marshall Rosenberg talked about something different. He, he recalled how his father and his grandfather actually took pleasure in paying taxes. That's the word that they actually took pleasure in paying taxes. Now, what's wrong with someone like that? Well, um, it was because of their experience. They had immigrated to North America from Russia. And so every year annually when they paid taxes, that was a reminder to them that they're paying them to a government who was actually providing them with programs, was actually policing the streets, was paying for that and doing all these other things. And so they took pleasure in this. We live in a situation now where our government is doing things. So that changed their perspective. A man named Bob Benson tells a story about a friend who had a heart attack, and a heart attack is never a pleasant thing. I know some of you have had them. Uh, Not a pleasant thing, but he was recovering, and he was actually doing quite well after the heart attack, and things were generally improving in his life. And so Bob asks his friend, he says, hey, how did you enjoy your heart attack? And he says, "Uh, uh, it scared me to death almost, Uh, came the reply. Would you do it again? No. Would you recommend it to others? Definitely Definitely not. And so the conversation that ensued, Bob asked him some other questions about his life. He said, hey, how's your marriage? He said, you know what? It's better than ever. How, how, about, your, uh, how about your compassion and sense of sympathy? He said, you know what? I just, I just have more compassion and sympathy towards people, especially who have, people who have been through something like this. Hey, how, how about your faith? He said, you know what? I've, I've never been closer to the Lord than I am now. He says, well, how do you like your heart attack? His point was not that the heart attack was good, but that happened, and then there was a series of events, a chain of events, we might say, which actually made things improve in his life with his marriage, his sense of compassion, and even his faith. Perspective changes things. Now, but what is perspective anyway? Well, perspective has to do with seeing things more clearly, or at least seeing things more broadly. Okay, so if you imagine a camera, right, if you want to change the perspective, you want to maybe zoom out a little bit, you want to take a wide angle, and the idea is you want to see more things, like in the parameter of the camera, so, so therefore you can see a bigger picture and know more about what is going on. And we actually, we take that language and we apply it to our life as well. Having perspective is like seeing the bigger picture more clearly, seeing more things so that we can understand more about our situation. And so here's what we might think of as a definition of perspective. It's about seeing the bigger picture and right-sizing our problems. Okay? Bigger picture. Now, here's how right-sizing our problems come in. When we have problems, what we tend to do is lose perspective. It's like we have this lens and we become so focused on the problems, that's all we think about, that's all we can see, right? And we know that's true. Something's happened. It's, it's a fear. It's an uncertainty. It's a decision, some source of dread in our lives. It's like that's, we can think that is the sum total of our lives in that moment. It's all we can ponder when we wake up in the middle of the night. We're thinking about it. Because we've lost this larger perspective, we become focused simply on the problems that we are facing. And so perspective kind of right-sizes our problems by bringing them back into proportion. And so I'd like to visually demonstrate this on the screen. Okay, so in this slide, you see a wolf in a circle, and that circle is supposed to represent a lens. It's what you see. So you look through your camera lens, all you can see is that wolf. Okay, a wolf is dangerous to you. Okay. Now, let's pretend that we're, we're, we're zooming out a little bit and we're seeing more in a bigger picture. Okay, next slide. 
All of a sudden, okay, that, that lens, that circle is bigger, so now we see not only a wolf, but we see a fence. Okay, that changes things a bit. Third slide, we'll go further still, and there we see a lion who has been trained to protect you from wolves. So in this situation, the bigger our perspective, the more we zoom out and take that big picture approach, we see, well, wait a second, it's not just about the source of danger. There's a fence and there's actually a lion. It changes how we see things. Now, the reason I start like this is because we're uh, in this series on the most famous psalms, and we've gone through Psalm 1 and Psalm uh, 23 last week, and today's on Psalm 46, and Psalm 46 is known to be about, amongst other things, about regaining that big picture perspective as you are dealing with problems and challenges in your life. And so when I grew up, uh, some of the times that I remember hearing Psalm 46 was uh, like a Remembrance Day, Remembrance Sunday, some issue of national concern or, or global crisis, whatever it happens to be, when people feel as if everything that is stable in their life or in the world is no longer stable, and so we need to be reminded, big picture, about who God is, what his character is, and the kinds of things he does in the world. It's all about reestablishing that perspective. So that's what we're going to jump in today, and it's going to help us as we think through what might I be afraid of, what what might I be uncertain about or, or facing dread in my life, and how can it help us in our big picture perspective? Now, Psalm 46 is often called a song of Zion. And uh, the context is Zion is, is an older word for the city of Jerusalem. And so it presents God as powerful and big. He is, he is this warrior king who is with his people. And so, <clears throat> you know, you get, you know he, so his, the people in the city aren't just... Um, or just his subjects, they're his children, so he's defending his children, even though there's all these challenges around them. And so we're going to look at Psalm 46, so if you have a, a Bible and you want to open it, I invite you to turn to that scripture. I'm reading from the ESV, and we'll also have the words up there on the screen as well. And so, first thing I should note is there's actually a bit of a subtitle kind of at the top. It says, To the Choir Master. And so this is a reminder that these were ancient worship songs, right? These are poems, and the melody has been lost to us, but that was the original context. And so there's some instructions to the person who would have been leading the congregation in worship. It says, of the sons of Korah, uh, this was a Levitical family. They had certain responsibilities to lead worship. And uh, there's 11 uh, psalms by the sons of Korah. It says, according to Alamoth, so soprano voices or maiden voices. And so these are ancient instructions about how the psalm would have been performed originally. And then we get into verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Pause. So this is the thesis statement of the psalm. So just like last week, when we looked at Psalm 23, the very first verse was the thesis statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? So, and then the rest of the psalm was about, okay, how does that actually take shape? Well, same thing with Psalm 46. So the thesis is, God is our refuge, meaning he's our refuge, our place of safety, our place of shelter. He is also our source of strength. And so when we're going through something difficult or challenging, we get weary and wobbly and tired and exhausted. And so God is the one who is actually giving us renewed strength. And so it's just like a like a source of natural water bubbling up out of the ground. God is this source of strength in our lives. And then it says, a very present help in trouble. Now, the adverb here in Hebrew uh, means greatly. It's translated here as very. But the idea is that the emphasis is on the word very. A, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. And we are to get that emphasis. 
Now, the reason we need to remember that is because if we're not careful, what happens in our thoughts about God is we can succumb to this kind of watered-down thinking that God is just some, some distant, you know, white-bearded person in the clouds, twiddling his thumbs, totally disinterested in what goes on in our daily lives. But that's really not the view of Scripture, certainly not of Psalm 46. In the book Soul, uh, uh, Soul Keeping, there's evidence of, well, this this kind of analysis of this research, the survey that was done of, of 3,000 young people talking about their, their perceptions of God, what is God like? And four things kind of came to the surface in that, and this view is called moral therapeutic deism, and you can Google it if you want to learn more. It's kind of a, a popular conception about what God is like. First, God wants us to be nice and fair. Okay? Uh, the purpose of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. Uh, God only really needs to be involved in your life when needed to solve a problem. Uh, good people go to heaven when they die. So this is a very popular conception about God, and there's, there's issues with a lot of that, clearly. But what I'll focus on is bullet number three. God only really needs to be involved in your life when needed to solve a problem. That is simply not the picture of Scripture. Our God is involved and engaged, not just on big events, but on daily events. Times when we're feeling stressed and under strain and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get groceries and pick up the kids and pay the bills and be a disciple today when it's increasingly not the thing to do. So all the, he's very present. And so the picture we get in Psalm 46 is God is very present. So he's not like this commander as his city is under siege in Jerusalem, sitting at the back telling other people stuff to do. He is like the warrior king on the front line standing alongside the foot soldiers leading the battle. Okay. So this is the thesis, verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Okay, so here, this is most likely metaphorical language for nations coming around the city and threatening them. So it might be about natural disasters, tsunami, hurricanes, but really I think the language based on a variety of reasons, has to do with there are nations encircling the city, uh, they're, they're threatening war, and so the language that is used from nature is to meant to give us the impression that everything that they thought was stable and secure is no longer stable and secure. And so mountains be moved into the heart of the sea or the deepest places of the sea. This is really like saying, it feels like creation itself is coming undone and everything that we could count upon is no longer counted upon. And we can relate to that feeling of disorientation and, and concern when something big happens in our world. Maybe a declaration of war. Uh, maybe learning that young people are going to get conscript, conscripted into the army. Uh, maybe a, a global pandemic, uh, an economic recession, um, and things in our own lives too, stress and strain that we're, we're experiencing. Maybe an illness has, has shaken the family or a family crisis and everything that seemed sure and dependable is not there. Maybe friends are abandoning you, whatever the reason. We can relate to this idea of stuff feeling totally uh, shaky underneath our feet. And then there's that little Hebrew word, selah. I just want a quick word about this. This comes up three times in this psalm, many times through the psalms in general. Uh, in short, we don't totally know exactly what it means. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, a lot of scholars speculate that this is some sort of musical notation, which is an instruction to the choir master about what is to happen. So it might mean repeat the chorus. It might mean musical pause or a break. We don't totally know, uh, but there it is. Verse 4. And at verse 4, the, the, the feeling changes. It goes from chaos to calm. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. 
This is about Jerusalem. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And so the contrast here is that despite the chaos all around the city of Zion, within it, with his people, with these rivers, possibly even a reference to irrigation ditches, God is nurturing and nourishing his people. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now, Lord of hosts is language to mean the, uh, the angel army of God. That's what this is a reference to. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh, with his angel armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, the God of Jacob. So recall the patriarchs, Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph. And so this is a way of saying, our God of ancestors, that God who's been faithful to our people for generations and generations, he is our fortress. Now, this is the first time in the psalm that the word fortress is introduced, uh, which is interesting. I've never been in a real fortress. Uh, I've been to Casa Loma in Toronto. Uh, I watched Downton Abbey. I watched the whole series. That was kind of fortressy, I guess you could say. Um, but a real fortress is, is designed uh, to, to fight against or to defend against armies. Uh, also of historical note, uh, Martin Luther, so the great German reformer in the 1500s, who saw many abuses and, and and the church kind of going into the ditch. He advocated for many reforms within the church. And so some call him the father of the Protestant uh, Reformation, which gave birth to traditions and, and churches like this one. Um, he actually wrote a very famous hymn that we are going to sing at the end of this song, um, at the end of the service, based on Psalm 46. And it's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it's based on Psalm 46. It's based on uh, this line. So that also, I think, resonated with him because he was excommunicated from the church. He was under personal threat. His family as well, his country was in upheaval. And he wrote this based on Psalm 46 and the big picture perspective of God as the loving warrior king who is with his people. A couple of lines from that hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. In verse 3, I love it. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Can I get an amen? amen. I love that. Such a great line. All right, continuing. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord and how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease, right? Ultimately, all his purposes are working towards that big picture piece. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Now, we're going to pause here for a second. This is the most famous a line in the psalm. See, people post memes about this and everything else. They quote it. it it's, it's a beloved verse. But what's going on here? Now, it's interesting. Be still and know that I am God. Who is God talking to? So one of the things we can't see in English, but which is in the Hebrew of this, and the oldest texts are in Hebrew, is that be still is a word that is plural. And so God here is speaking to a group of people. Now, who is he talking to? Well, he may be talking to Israel's enemies, 
So they're gathered around the city, and he might be saying, hey, be still, I am the Lord God, Yahweh, and so all your efforts against the city of God are going to be thwarted, so just like cease and desist. So it may be the emphasis is there. It also might be the emphasis that God is speaking to his own people who, because of the threats around them, are worrying and fearing and scurrying and just really shaking in their boots. So it may be the case that he's talking to his own people, be still and know that I am God. I've got this, okay? Uh, Hebrew language and linguist Robert Alter, uh, on this verse, he says this, and this is how he translates this phrase, let go and know that I am God. Now, the reason he says that is because the, the, this, the origin of this word is, is wrapped up in the idea of relaxing one's grip on something. Now, now, what do they need to relax their grip on? Maybe they need to relax their grip on some sort of idolatry that they think that they are in the role of God. Maybe they need to relax their grip on thinking that they have to control everything or that they have to have all the answers or, or, or that they need to know everything about a situation. And it's like, no, no, God's God. And so despite all the chaos around you, he, he is actually on the throne. He is actually almighty. He does actually know what he's doing and know that I am God. Mark Sayers is an Australian author, and he's got this uh, great line. He says, waiting on the Lord, seeking his voice, is an act of revolutionary stillness. Revolutionary stillness. And I love that because in the context of our culture, what do we value? We value busyness. We value productivity. Go, go, go. Actions speak louder than words. But he's like, no, it's like... In moments like this, it's like God is saying, let go and know that I am God. I lead you, follow. And so instead of just scurrying around and doing things, maybe we need to pause, discern the voice of God, what he wants us to do, and then follow, and then go from there. Do we have things to do? Yeah. We've got bills to pay. We've got to take the kids to soccer. We've got to volunteer at the hospital. We've got to love our neighbors. We're trying to love our enemies. We're worshiping. We're doing all these things. First discern the voice of God, then follow. Uh, Professor Albert Moeller was talking to some uh, university and college students on their graduation, and the focus of his message was, uh, don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> and you're like, what was that? well, there's an expression, don't just stand there, do something. Right? And that really resonates with us in these age, this age, right? You know, actions speak louder than words and all that. But he's like, so often we're scurrying around doing things almost as, as if everything in the world depends on us and our capacity to be productive and doing all these things that we're actually not doing them on a firm foundation. We haven't actually thought through what we believe and why, discerning, listening for God's voice in that moment of revolutionary stillness and then acting. Maybe sometimes we just need to, you know, Stand there and then do something. Be still and know that I am God. The verse continues. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I might be exalted among the nations. I want to be exalted in the earth. He is telling us what the future will be like. God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. Every knee will bend. Every tongue will confess. Knowledge of the Lord's glory will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. As the prophet Habakkuk tells us in chapter 2 of his book. And so we are to take from that. Wait a second. Despite all the uncertainty and fear and change in our own lives, the victory is assured. We know the end of the story. 
God is king. It all works out. The new heavens and the new earth, and we are part of his people. We're going to be a part of this beautiful, glorious inheritance. Praise be to God. Final verse, verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. And so that's the same as what was in verse 7. So that's like the chorus of the song, a good way to end it. And so we end our close look at the text there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I started off by talking about perspective. And here's the definition I offered. It's about seeing the bigger picture and right-sizing our problems. And hopefully we've been able to see how Psalm 46 is about the big picture. God is, in fact, our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. He is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And part of the intended effect for us, as we think through our problems, how might this right-size our problems? This isn't to minimize them. It's not to say they're not there. It's not to say that we don't have sleepless nights and reasons to to fret and everything else. But the idea, it's to help us right-size our problems and to see a bigger picture and to see the challenges we're facing, not in isolation, but there's these other realities about God which are happening in our lives. And again, just like the start, I like to depict this visually. So here's the first slide. So there's the lens Narrowly focused on three words, fear, uncertainty, dread. Now, everyone is going to have their own version of what those things are. Different things they may be fear, different things that they're uncertain about, different things that they are dreading. And when we're dealing with them, and we all have, and if you haven't, you will, because life is challenging. It's like our, our focus is so limited, our perspective is lost, things that are, and that's like, we think that's all there is. Psalm 46, with its revelations about who God is and what God does encourages us to broaden our perspective. And so next slide, we go it a bit further. Well, two of the insights from Psalm 46, God is our eternal refuge. And so he is actually a refuge. He is actually a fortress and he provides strength when we need it. And so if we're just focused on fear, uncertainty, and dread, we think that's all there is, but all of a sudden, oh, wait a second, these are the realities of God. Next slide. We pull out the lens, the perspective, that we zoom out just a little bit more. Well, he is our fortress against the enemy, and he is a very present help in trouble. So what about a fortress? So wait a second, we can't always see it, but God in the spiritual realm is doing battle on a daily basis for his people. If he wasn't, I couldn't even begin to describe the, the utter and, and, and visceral and horrible carnage that would be in our lives every single day. Not only that, but he encourages us in Ephesians 6 to put on the armor of God. He gives us tools whereby we may stand our ground on the day of evil. Boots of peace, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's a very present help in trouble. So he's not far away. He's here. He's engaged in the daily business that we're involved in. Okay, let's pull it out one more time. On the left it says, God works in all things for our good. Now, this isn't stated explicitly here, but it's implied. It is stated explicitly by the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 28. And so in the midst of these fears, uncertainties, and dreads that we experience, God for his people will actually bring good out of it. That's not to say that these challenges we're facing are good. No, but God, because he is almighty, because he is this warrior king who is also taking care of his children, he will work all things for good for those who love him. And then on the other side, we realize that, wait a second, we're not in this world with meandum spattering of, 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 of atoms and things are just by chance. No, there's actually a big picture purpose which God is working. 
He is bringing unity to all things. You wonder, what's the big picture plan of God? Well, he tells us in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. He's bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so all these things that go on in our lives and through human history is working towards that end goal. He is bringing unity, forgiveness, peace, reconciliation to all things in the person of Jesus. Praise be to God. And so the intended result for us, knowing this big picture, is verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. That's what he wants to say to us. Be still and know that I am God. And we see that word be still. Sometimes we can falsely think that that is about quiet time. And it is sometimes. Hey, I love quiet time. Who loves quiet time? I do. But it's not just about that. Then we see, oh, wait, we see it out of context. And we think, oh, be still. But, but I'm busy and I got, I got stuff to do and, and I got to go here and do that. And this is about inner stillness based on who we know God to be. And this is what I mean by inner stillness. Inner stillness flows from a growing knowledge of who God is and what God is doing. So we can be doing various things in our lives, in our friend circle, at school, at work, church, in the world, discipleship, everything else. And we can experience an inner stillness. It flows from a growing knowledge of who God is and what God is doing. And the reason we need to pay attention to this is it says, be still and know. Knowledge is a part of it. Know that I am God. And so the more we are aware of who God is in the scriptures, as we talk about God, as we worship, as we do all these things, wait a second, I'm going to be aware of who God is and what his character is like and what he is doing, and I'm going to have an increasing inner stillness. Everything might not be coming up roses in my life, but I trust that God is God. He is our refuge and strength. David Helm says it like this, the more you spend time looking at the big picture, the better your grasp of the big picture will be. The more time you spend looking at the big picture, the better your grasp of the big picture will be. And so unless we are intentionally in the scriptures, learning about God, worshiping, growing, what's going to happen is our minds get narrow and we lose that perspective. All of this was very good news to ancient Israel, especially as their enemies gathered around the holy city. It's good news for us too as we deal with our fears, uncertainties, and reasons to dread. And so my encouragement to you is this. Let go and know that God is doing a good job at doing his job. Okay? Let go. This doesn't mean to do nothing. We all have things to do. This isn't about that. It's not about guilt. It's saying, what, what, what do I need to let my grasp go from? Thinking, thinking that, that I have to control everything. Th- thinking that I have to have all the answers. Thinking I need to do it all by myself. Thinking about this is all up to me. That go and know that God is doing a good job at doing his job. And so my question for us is, what do you need to let go of as you trust that God is doing a good job at doing his job? And it'll be different for people, whether you're here or online at home or listening to the podcast later. We all need to think through that. What what am I grasping onto? And because I'm grasping onto this so firmly, it's actually a sign of a lack of faith because I don't think that God is on the throne. Because I don't think he's doing a very good job and it's all up to me. Final thought. When you look at Handel's Messiah, so many of us have enjoyed Handel's Messiah, um, amazing piece of work um, uh, in, the, in the 18th century, uh, it's been enjoyed through the ages at Easter, especially at Christmas, people listen to it, uh, prophecies and, and key moments from the life of Christ, Handel's Messiah, if you just look at one page 
Or if you just listen to one short section of it, especially in a minor key, it's going to sound weird. It's going to sound strange. Because we're not seeing the broader context. We're not seeing the bigger picture. We don't have the perspective of, of the, the entire work of art. But all of a sudden, when you see all the pages or when you see or you listen and take the time and listen to the whole thing, that's only when you can appreciate the beauty, the grand arc of the story, the majesty, the power of what God is doing through Jesus and also through us, only when you stand back and see it all. And so it is with life. Perspective, seeing the big picture, changes how you see things, including your own problems, as we face fears, uncertainties, and dreads. And Psalm 46 helps us do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say it uh, together. We've been going through it kind of line by line, but I want to kind of us to, to appreciate it in the whole. So we're going to put it up here on the screen, and we're just going to go through it. Next slide. Is it next or no? Okay, forget it. I will say it then. Listen to this. I invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes, and everyone has their own challenges and difficulties that they face this is a psalm of perspective. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Amen.